Book One, Chapter One of the Black Arrow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Book One, The Two Lads, Chapter One, At the Sign of the Sun in Ketley. Sir Daniel and his men lay in and about Ketley that night, warmly quartered and well patrolled. But the knight of Tunstall was one who never rested from money-getting, and even now, when he was on the brink of an adventure which should make or mar him, he was up an hour after midnight to squeeze poor neighbours. He was one who trafficked greatly in disputed inheritances. It was his way to buy out the most unlikely claimant, and then, by the favour he curried with great lords about the king, procure unjust decisions in his favour, or, if that was too roundabout, to seize the disputed manner by force of arms, and rely on his influence and Sir Oliver's cunning in the law, to hold what he had snatched. Ketley was one such place. It had come very lately into his clutches. He still met with opposition from the tenants and it was to overall discontent that he had led his troops that way. By two in the morning Sir Daniel sat in the inn-room, close by the fireside, for it was cold at that hour among the fens of Ketley. By his elbow stood a puddle of spiced ale. He had taken off his visored headpiece, and sat with his bald head and thin, dark visage resting on one hand, wrapped warmly in a sanguine-coloured cloak. At the lower end of the room about a dozen of his men stood sentry over the door, or lay asleep on benches, and, somewhat nearer hand, a young lad, apparently of twelve or thirteen, was stretched in a mantle on the floor. The host of the sun stood before the great man. "'Now mark me, mine host,' Sir Daniel said. "'Follow but mine orders, and I shall be your good lord ever.' I must have good men for headboroughs, and I will have Adam a more high constable. See to it narrowly. If other men be chosen, it shall avail you nothing. Rather it shall be found to your sore cost. For those that have paid rent to Walsingham I shall take good measure. You among the rest, mine host. Good night, said the host. I will swear upon the cross of Holywood I did but pay to Walsingham upon compulsion. Nay, bully knight, I love not the rogue Walsinghams. They were as poor as thieves, bully knight. Give me a great lord like you. Nay, ask me among the neighbours. I am stout for Brackley. It may be, said Sir Daniel dryly. You shall then pay twice. The innkeeper made a horrid grimace, but this was a piece of bad luck that might readily befall a tenant in these unruly times, and he was perhaps glad to make his peace so easily. "'Bring up yon fellow, Selden,' cried the knight. And one of his retainers led up a poor, cringing old man, as pale as a candle, and all shaking with the fen fever. "'Sirrah,' said Sir Daniel, "'your name?' "'And it please your worship,' replied the man. "'My name is Condal, Condal of Shoreby, at your good worship's pleasure.' "'I have heard you ill-reported on,' returned the knight. 
ye deal in treason, rogue. Ye trudge the country leasing, ye are heavily suspicioned of the death of severals. How, fella, are ye so bold? But I will bring you down. Ah, oh, right, honourable and my reverend lord, the man cried. Here is some hodgepodge, saving your good presence. I am but a poor private man, and have hurt none. The under-sheriff did report of you most vilely, said the knight. Seize me, saith he, that Tyndall of Shoreby. Condal, my good lord, Condal is my poor name, said the unfortunate. Condal or Tyndall, it is all one, replied Sir Daniel, coolly. For by my sooth ye are here, and I do mightily suspect your honesty. If you would save your neck, write me swiftly an obligation for twenty pound. For twenty pound, my good lord, cried Condal, here is midsummer madness. My whole estate amounteth not to seventy shillings. Condal or Tyndall, returned Sir Daniel, grinning, I will run my peril of that loss. Write me down twenty, and when I have recovered all I may, I will be good lord to you, and pardon you the rest. Alas, my good lord, it may not be. I have no skill to write, said Condal. Well a day, returned the knight. Here, then, is no remedy. Yet I would fain have spared you, Tyndall, had my conscience suffered. Selden! Take me this old shrew softly to the nearest elm, and hang me him tenderly by the neck, where I may see him at my riding. Fare ye well, good Master Condal, dear Master Tyndall. Ye are post-haste for paradise. Fare ye then well. Nay, my bright pleasant lord, replied Condal, forcing an obsequious smile, and ye be so masterful as doth right well become you. I will even— with all my poor skill, do your good bidding. Friend, quoth Sir Daniel, you will now write two score. Go to, you are too cunning for a livelihood of seventy shillings. Seldom see him write me this in good form and have it duly witnessed. And Sir Daniel, who was a very merry knight, none merrier in England, took a drink of his mulled ale and lay back, smiling. Meanwhile, the boy upon the floor began to stir, and presently sat up and looked about him with a scare. "'Hither!' said Sir Daniel, and as the other rose at his command and came slowly towards him, he leaned back and laughed outright. "'By the rude!' he cried. "'A sturdy boy!' The lad flushed crimson with anger, and darted a look of hate out of his dark eyes. Now that he was on his legs, it was more difficult to make certain of his age. His face looked somewhat older in expression, but it was as smooth as a young child's, and in bone and body he was unusually slender, and somewhat awkward of gait. "'Ye have called me, Sir Daniel,' he said. "'Was it to laugh at my poor plight?' "'Nay, now, let laugh,' said the knight. "'Good shrew, let laugh, I pray you.' and you could see yourself, I warrant ye, would laugh the first. Well, cried the lad, flushing, ye shall answer this when ye answer for the other. Laugh while yet ye may. Nay, now, good cousin, 
replied Sir Daniel, with some earnestness. Think not that I mock at you except in mirth, as between kinsfolk and singular friends. I will make you a marriage of a thousand pounds, go to, and cherish you exceedingly. I took you indeed, roughly, as the time demanded, but from henceforth I shall ungrudgingly maintain and cheerfully serve you. Ye shall be Mrs. Shelton, Lady Shelton by my troth, for the lad promiseth bravely. Tut, ye will not shy for honest laughter, it purgeth melancholy. They are no rogues who laugh, good cousin. Good mine host, lay me a meal now for my cousin, Master John. Sit ye down, sweetheart, and eat. Nay, said Master John, I will break no bread. Since ye force me to the sin, I will fast for my soul's interest. But, good mine host, I pray you of courtesy, give me a cup of fair water. I shall be much beholden to your courtesy indeed. You shall have a dispensation, go to, cried the knight. Shalt be well shriven by my faith. Content you then, and eat. But the lad was obstinate, drank a cup of water, and, once more wrapping himself closely in his mantle, sat in a far corner, brooding. In an hour or two there rose a stir in the village of sentries challenging, and the clatter of arms and horses, and then a troop drew up by the inn door, and Richard Shelton, splashed with mud, presented himself upon the threshold. "'Save you, Sir Daniel,' he said. "'How, Dicky Shelton!' cried the knight, and at the mention of Dick's name the other lad looked curiously across. "'What maketh Benneth Hatch?' "'Please you, Sir Knight, to take cognizance of this packet from Sir Oliver, wherein are all things fully stated,' answered Richard, presenting the priest's letter. "'And please you farther, you were best make all speed to Risingham, for on the way hither we encountered one riding furiously with letters, and by his report my lord of Risingham were sore bested, and lacked exceedingly your presence.' "'How say you, sore bested?' returned the knight. "'Nay, then, we will make speed sitting down, good Richard. "'As the world goes in this poor realm of England, "'he that rideth softliest rides surest. "'Delay, they say, begetteth peril. "'But it is rather this itch of doing that undoes men. "'Mark it, Dick. "'But let me see first what cattle he have brought. "'Selden, a link here at the door.' "'And Sir Daniel strode forth into the village street,' and by the red glow of a torch inspected his new troops. He was an unpopular neighbour, and an unpopular master, but as a leader in war he was well beloved by those who rode behind his pennant. His dash, his proved courage, his forethought for the soldier's comfort, even his rough jibes, were all to the taste of the bold blades in Jack and Sallet. "'Nay, by the rood!' he cried. "'What poor dogs are these!' Here be some as crooked as a bow, and some as lean as a spear. Friends, ye shall ride in the front of the battle. I can spare you, friends. Mark me this old villain on the piebald. A two-year mutton riding on a hog would look more soldierly. Ha! <laughs> Clipsby, are you there, old rat? Ye are a man I could lose with a good heart. Ye shall go in front of all, with a bull's-eye painted on your jack, to be the better butt for archery. 
Sirrah, you shall show me the way. I will show you any way, Sir Daniel, but the way to change sides, returned Clipsby sturdily. Sir Daniel laughed a guffaw. Why, well said, he cried. Hast a shrewd tongue in thy mouth, go to. <laughs> I will forgive you for that merry word. <laughs> Selden, see them fed, both man and brute. The knight re-entered the inn. Now, Fred and Dick, he said, fall to. Here is good ale and bacon. Eat while that I read. Sir Daniel opened the packet, and as he read his brow darkened. When he had done, he sat a little, musing. Then he looked sharply at his ward. "'Dick,' said he, "'ye have seen this penny rhyme?' The lad replied in the affirmative. "'It bears your father's name,' continued the knight, "'and our poor shrew of a parson is, by some mad soul, accused of slaying him.' "'He did most eagerly deny it,' answered Dick. "'He did,' cried the knight very sharply. Heed him not. He has a loose tongue. He babbles like a jack sparrow. Some day, when I may find the leisure, Dick, I will myself more fully inform you of these matters. There was one Duckworth shrewdly blamed for it, but the times were troubled, and there was no justice to be got. It befell at the moat house? Dick ventured with a beating at his heart. It befell between the moat house and Holywood, replied Sir Daniel calmly but he shot a covert glance, black with suspicion, at Dick's face. "'And now,' added the knight, "'speed you with your meal. Ye shall return to Tunstall with a line from me.' Dick's face fell sorely. "'Prithee, Sir Daniel,' he cried, "'send one of the villains. I beseech you, let me to the battle. I can strike a stroke, I promise you.' "'I misdoubt it not,' replied Sir Daniel, sitting down to write. But here, Dick, is no honour to be won. I lie in Ketley till I have sure tidings of the war, and then ride to join me with the conqueror. Cry not on cowardice, it is but wisdom, Dick, for this poor realm so tosseth with rebellion, and the king's name and custody so changeth hands, that no man may be certain of the morrow. Tosspot and shuttlewit run in, but my lord good counsel sits on one side, waiting. With that, Sir Daniel, turning his back to Dick, and quite at the farther end of the long table, began to write his letter, with his mouth on one side, for this business of the black arrow stuck sorely in his throat. Meanwhile young Shelton was going on heartily enough with his breakfast, when he felt a touch upon his arm, and a very soft voice whispering in his ear. "'Make not a sign, I do beseech you,' said the voice, "'but of your charity.' Tell me the straight way to Holywood. Beseech you now, good boy, comfort a poor soul in peril and extreme distress, and set me so far forth upon the way to my repose. Take the path by the windmill, answered Dick, in the same tone. It will bring you to Till Ferry. There inquire again. And without turning his head he fell again to eating. But with the tail of his eye he caught a glimpse of the young lad called Master John, stealthily creeping from the room. Why, thought Dick, he is as young as I. Good boy doth he call me, and I had known I should have seen the varlet hanged ere I had told him. Well, 
and if he goes through the fen I may come up with him and pull his ears. Half an hour later Sir Daniel gave Dick the letter, and bade him speed to the moat-house, and again, some half an hour after Dick's departure, a messenger came in hot haste from my lord of Risingham. "'Sir Daniel,' the messenger said, "'you lose great honour by my sooth. The fight began again this morning ere the dawn, and we have beaten their van and scattered their right wing. Only the main battle standeth fast, and we had your fresh men we should tilt you them all into the river. What, sir knight, will you be the last? It stands not with your good credit.' "'Nay,' cried the knight, "'I was but now upon the march. Selden, sound me the tucket. Sir, I am with you on the instant. It is not two hours since the more part of my command came in, Sir Messenger. What would you have? Spurring is good meat, but yet it killed the charger. Bustle, boys!' By this time the tucket was sounding cheerily in the morning, and from all sides Sir Daniel's men poured into the main street and formed before the inn. They had slept upon their arms, with chargers saddled, and in ten minutes five-score men-at-arms and archers, cleanly equipped and briskly disciplined, stood ranked and ready. The chief part were in Sir Daniel's livery, Murray and Blue, which gave the greater show to their array. The best-armed rode first, and away out of sight at the tail of the column came the sorry reinforcement of the night before. Sir Daniel looked with pride along the line. "'Here be the lads to serve you in a pinch,' he said. "'They are pretty men, indeed,' replied the messenger. "'It but augments my sorrow that ye had not marched the earlier.' "'Well,' said the knight, "'what would ye? "'The beginning of a feast and the end of a fray, Sir Messenger.' And he mounted into his saddle. "'Why, how now?' he cried. "'John! Joanna! "'Nay, by the sacred rood, where is she? "'Host, where is that girl?' "'Girl, Sir Daniel,' cried the landlord. "'Nay, sir, I saw no girl.' "'Boy, then, dotard,' cried the knight. "'Could ye not see it was a wench? "'She in the murrey-coloured mantle. "'She that broke her fast with water, rogue, where is she?' "'Nay, the saints bless us. "'Master John, ye called him,' said the host. "'Well, I thought none evil. "'He is gone. "'I saw him, uh, her—' I saw her in the stable a good hour agone, and was saddling a grey horse. "'Now by the rood!' cried Sir Daniel. "'The wench was worth five hundred pound to me, and more!' "'Sir Knight,' observed the messenger, with bitterness, "'while that ye are here, roaring for five hundred pounds, the realm of England is elsewhere being lost and won.' "'It is well said,' replied Sir Daniel. "'Selden!' Fall me out with six crossbowmen, hunt me her down. I care not what it cost, but at my returning let me find her at the moat-house, be it upon your head. And now, sir messenger, we march. And the troop broke into a good trot, and Selden and his six men were left behind upon the street of Ketley, with the staring villagers. End of Book One, Chapter One